Welcome to Decoding Learning Differences with Cameron Lavelle. This episode, we are having a special interview with Beth Sullivan. She is a dyslexic tutor, tutor for those with dyslexia, um, and she offers online services. We kind of just talked about what, what she's noticed, what she recommends. Um, so take a listen. And I'd love to hear what you think at the end. So please email me your takeaways. Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thanks. And welcome. Um, so tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I'm Beth Sullivan. Uh, my company is Deep Roots Learning Solutions. And um, primarily I do one-on-one -on -one literacy tutoring, Orton-Gillingham tutoring, mostly with kids with dyslexia, although not all my students are identified with dyslexia. And I also support other tutors who are moving their businesses online. My tutoring has been almost all online for about four years, but then in the past year, there's been a huge growth in interest in online tutoring. And so I've started working with some other tutors as well as taking on more students myself. I have so many ways I want to go with that, but I'll start <laughs> with, give us an overview of what the Orton-Gillingham is. Sure. So Orton-Gillingham is not a program. It's a methodology or an approach. It is old. It dates back to the early 20th century. Um, and it is multi-sensory, explicit, systematic instruction in phonics. So we start with the very basic building blocks of letters and sounds and very gradually introduce new sounds as students are successful with them. So the, the approach is also diagnostic, meaning that an Orton-Gillingham tutor tries to pinpoint where the weakness is in a student's reading. So what is the sound they don't know or what is the skill like blending letters together to make a word that they don't know yet and to teach that skill before we try to move on to higher level skills. So um, I work with students primarily one-on-one. -on -one. My, my typical lesson is an hour and it's usually focused on one concept. So it might be focused on one um, vowel team, one spelling of a sound like the AI vowel digraph says A and we read a bunch of words with A and we read them in sentences and we read them in lists and then we spell them in uh, spell them as individual words and we spell them in sentences and then we read connected text. We read a page, a story page with that concept in it. So we really focus on that one sound and those sounds accumulate over time. We keep reviewing um, to help the student overall become more fluent. Excellent. Um... Again, I have so many directions I want to go. I kept wanting to like go deeper at that. But first, let's yeah. back up and talk a little bit more about dyslexia. You mentioned sure. you work with students with dyslexia mm -hmm. and also students who have not been identified as dyslexia. Um, so what is your working definition of dyslexia? Oh, okay. So my, so my defi the definition I was trained with is the International Dyslexia Association's definition. And it, so dyslexia is a phonological, um, it's a condition in, that affects the phonological knowledge of language. So the ability to hear and distinguish and produce sounds in words. And because we have an alphabetic language in English, we need to know the sounds represented by the letters to read and spell it. And so it's a deficit in that area that impacts 
Um, it can impact oral language. So kids can have trouble reproducing a multi-syllable word. Some of the kids that say paschetti and then don't get over it when the other toddlers stop saying paschetti. Um, some, uh, it can also impact reading accuracy for sure, but also reading fluency. Some kids figure out other ways. They're able to remember a lot of words and they're able to get by, but down the road, it really affects their fluency and it affects their ability to read words they haven't seen before. So when they get to middle school and they're given a history book to learn from, or they're given a science article to read, um, it also affects spelling um, and it can affect written expression overall, because if you're not sure how to spell that right word that you want to say, you pick something else that might not be as precise. Or your overall, you just don't write as much as your classmates because it's hard and you're fighting for every sound. So it can impact overall written expression in that way too. Excellent. I think that's a very good overall description. I, I always have a hard time fully explaining it. So I really, yeah. that. that was it's good. Okay. So you use Orton-Gillingham to work with dyslexia. Another approach that I've heard about, and honestly, in my own experience, I've seen a lot less success with is like the online programs. Have you seen students who've used that at all? Um, well, I mean, there are a lot of different online programs. I think some of them are better than others. I know um, my local school uses Lexia, yeah. Um, Lexia Core 5. And that has some some benefits, the instruction, I think for most typically developing readers, it can, it's enough. Um, what I notice is sometimes kids have trouble getting past a level for a reason that's not related to what they know about sounds. So I've worked with some kids who couldn't get through a level and couldn't get on to practice the things they really needed because they were impulsive clickers. And yeah. so the, the, I think that some of those systems are good, but they really need to be supported by a knowledgeable adult who's really doing the pullout lessons that are recommended by the program or who's really um, there to support the way the child's using the program. My own child figured out that if he gives enough wrong answers in a row, it goes to this really fun and easy puzzle. And I was sitting next to him one day and saying, you know what the name of that letter is. Why do you keep clicking the wrong one? And he said, watch this and showed me that he got to go to this great little matching puzzle if he did it. And I said, oh man, okay. So <laughs> the system is not working as intended. So I think that's the downfall. I think um, Lexi is the one I'm most familiar with and I it, ha it can have great benefits. And it also, it can give kids specific and targeted instruction that is more what they need than even what the teacher's small group is teaching. So it can help students practice just the right thing if we're really careful about the way we set it up and use it. Yes, yes. I've, the the school I work with um, or for whatever, <laughs> the school I'm at, yeah. we've done Lexia for years now. My one complaint is that the kids do the same thing. like they're over it. You yeah. know, the kindergartners yeah. are into it. First graders are kind of into it. And the kids who have been doing it since kindergarten are over it. And if they have, if they get stuck, if they're an impulsive clicker, if so, like some of them I'll see, they, uh, Lexi has put like charts and I'll see them just. Yes. And, yeah. and, but I agree. There is a lot of, it does have a lot of good um, pull out stuff and like little mini lessons. It's, it, it's a good first attempt. Yes, but I think it's part of a 
a comprehensive system of intervention and it's not the right intervention for everyone. And if you're yeah. seeing that they're not making progress with that intervention, the answer is not more of that intervention, which is something right. I've seen some schools do. <laughs> yeah. For you sure. need to double up that Lexia time because. Yes. Yes. That has been my complaint. Yeah, no. A lot of, um, a lot of the students that I see struggle the most really need the one-on-one -on -one multi-sensory that the Orton Gillingham provides. Yeah. Um, so you've been, so you basically are all dyslexic because I work with a variety of disabilities. So it's interesting to hear from you. Um, I want to know like what's maybe what's the most surprising thing that you found about kids with dyslexia? I think the thing that surprises me most coming at it as a private tutor, so I used to teach special ed and I started out teaching a sub-separate special ed class. So kids that were with me for almost all their academics all day, middle schoolers who were really not working at the level of the middle school curriculum and so needed separate instruction. And that's where I was and that's when I got my Orton Gillingham training. And then I moved into teaching um, kids with in an inclusion model with some pullouts for reading instruction. And then I was doing just reading intervention and now I'm just doing private tutoring. But the amazing thing to me as a private tutor is the number of schools, and I work with students from all over the country, the number of schools that are that say things like, no, we don't do IEPs for dyslexia, or no, we don't offer that. And I'm like, what, what do you mean you don't, you as a school don't offer reading instruction? Like what, what can that, what do you think you're saying? Cause you can't say that. Um, but parent, you know, kids who come to me that are clearly reading below grade level and either have flown under the radar for a really long time because the teacher would say, well, I know he understands it, you know, but he can't read it. Um, and so kids who have flown under the radar for a really long time before getting the intervention they need in fourth or fifth grade, sometimes when the parents give up on the school and go to a private tutor, that really surprises me. And also the lack, well, the lack of awareness of dyslexia and of the science of reading among teachers shouldn't surprise me anymore. But it does, you know, I look at some of the homework assignments my kids have, or I'll have an email conversation with a teacher and ask how I can support the students in their schoolwork. And they'll say, oh, just read with him plenty. He just needs to read more. He doesn't just need to read more. He has dyslexia. He needs something very different from that. So I think that surprises me a lot is the just the disconnect between what students really need and what science tells us they need and what the school believes or communicates to the parents. Yes, I I agree with a lot of that. I'm disappointed by things that I see. Um, and working in the schools, yeah, like there's some that are amazing and then there's others that are not so amazing. And yes. it is disappointing and frustrating. Um, going with, I'm thinking about um, the, the students who are struggling the parents are coming to you. Do you do you ever get um, students who are being homeschooled? Some, yep. Some. I um, more this year. Some of them are being homeschooled because they struggled so much in school, and some because of the academics, and some for other reasons. Um, and some are being homeschooled. You know, it's a change for this year because just online instruction through the school wasn't right for them. So, um, I think it's a mix. Um, I have one, 
well, I have one homeschool family that has, they're new to me, but they've been a long time homeschool family just because it fits with the way they travel and the things the girls are doing. But other than that, it's, it's mostly about the fact that what the school can offer, especially in 2020 or 2021 has not been a good fit for the way they need to learn. So they're, we're still doing online instruction. So it's not that they can't learn on the computer. It's that they can't learn in this sort of watered down way that that teach because teachers are all trying to learn how to teach through this um i lost that word um the teachers are trying to learn how to teach through this system rather than being having kids in front of them and being able to quickly pull a small group right so yeah one thing i've noticed is it's a lot harder to be multimodal because you only right. have visual and auditory on a screen so that was the other thing that i was really curious about is how, how are you able to make it multimodal digitally? So um, I don't use a lot of the same things that a lot of the in-person tutors do. And part of that is when I started out, when I started offering Orton Gillingham online, I wasn't comfortable offering it to the youngest learners. I think one of the hardest things to teach to, to teach over the, over Zoom is letter formation. It's so even though I can draw on my screen and I can model letter formation, if they don't already have a good sense of it, they're not going to learn it from watching me do it. It's and some tutors are doing it successfully, but I think that that's one of the hardest things to do over the computer. So I focus on teaching older learners who have some knowledge base in that area. So some things I do are I my manipulatives are often modeled on the screen so I'll have Elkonin boxes like just created in a table in a Google Doc and I'm pulling um I'll use the zoom whiteboard or I'll use Jamboard to just pull shapes into those boxes or to let the student do that but that's not as tactile I mean they get a little bit of kinesthetic feedback from moving them but it's not tactile so I also have them, I'll say to the parents, like we're, we're counting sounds and words. We're going to be doing that all the time. Make sure that you have a handful of pennies or a handful of, please not Legos because they just build with them. But you know, whatever, to find something, it can be game pieces, whatever. They just need a handful of something. So I model on the screen and they can tilt their laptop down so that the camera points to the workspace right in front of the laptop or with some of the older kids, I can trust them to follow my model. As some of the kids I work with are teenagers who are still filling some of these skill gaps. So other things that work just as well over the camera are finger tapping for sounds. And the way I explain this is it's like putting down a landmark. So if you're sounding out the word shrub, that's a lot of sounds. Our short-term memory can't hold all those sounds. So we need something to help us keep track of those sounds and our fingers are always there. So that's something that I model for students and I encourage them to do. They still get up and sky write their letter. So when we learn a new letter, they sky write and also, in the classroom, I might have different textured surfaces that they write on with their finger and online. I'll say, all right, so we need something that your finger's going to feel. Look around your desk and sometimes they'll pick the knee of their jeans or they'll pick the placemat on the dining room table. And I, uh, that gives me a moment while they're looking around to explain why we do this. Um, and sometimes they, they get into it. They like to bring a stuffed animal with them. And if that's what they want to do their, their letter formation on, that's great too. So. It's, I think it's a combination of preparing with the parents and also using what's available and remembering that the purpose is to just get them to get repeated practice with the letter formation and pairing it with the letter name and the sound. 
And so there's a lot of ways we can do that without having to pull out the sand tray. Awesome. That, yes, I agree. There's, it is, it is challenging, but we've done similar things. I was just thinking about um, the other day, we had a little girl who was working on counting and we we're just like, okay, go find four of your dolls. Only four. Only four. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So yeah, trying to use their environment when you can't be in the same environment. It does, it does feel very different. Um, it does. I know. And there are sometimes, especially when we're done with something that in the classroom, I would just be able to sweep those marbles out of the way and say, okay, now we're writing and I can't do that online. So it does. That's another reason I tend to not work with the youngest students because I can't help them manage their materials. Um, so if a parent wants to sit by nearby and do that, then it often works, but they can't be as independent right as older kids yeah yeah and i i see that even just with the right with the virtual distance learning right now is the youngest ones just, some of them amaze me at how well they can sit there and pay attention and do what they're supposed to do but they're yeah. the more typical the ones who are struggling at all they're just like i can't pay attention to this i'm gonna go play right with, you know whatever over here absolutely yeah they'll find they'll find any little thing yeah um what else was okay so you you said you work with a lot of older kids when you're working with the older kids do they come in so i guess what i see a lot is like i see older kids who have like plateaued like mm -hmm. they they are pretty close to reading at grade level so a lot of people wouldn't think that they need something so comprehensive or that they need to go back to basics you know with you know a says ah, um, because they're in fifth grade and they're reading at a mid fourth grade level, they're doing pretty good. But then I'll notice, and when I do go back is I'll notice um, that they're not, they're, they're, the things that they're struggling with is those history book type words where it's those big words that are, they don't know what to do with it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I think, so I think, um, one thing that really surprised me, um, and it was one of the, when I moved to uh, an inclusion-based special ed position, he, this student was one of the first that I evaluated and, um, he got by up through fifth grade and he, his, even his test scores looked okay and his fluency looked okay. And there were concerns and, you know, a couple times a year, the teachers or the parents would say like, gosh, we're just not really sure. He seems to be struggling. And then we'd look at the numbers and say, no, I think it's fine. So finally, when we did a full assessment on him and when I started some of the Orton-Gillingham pre-screening testing with him, I realized he didn't know the short vowel sounds. He was sort of, so he recognized thousands of words and he had really good language comprehension. So he could look at a word and, and he knew from the parts he was reading what would make sense there. And he was an excellent, I won't even say a guesser because guessing sounds random. He was really good at inferring and predicting what word should be there. But when I gave him a nonsense word, he was saying like, uh, for all the vowels, he had this sort of mushy schwa sound for the vowels. So I spent a couple weeks teaching him that, and I said, I know this is going to feel crazy, but we need to talk about these short vowel sounds. So we spent a couple weeks on that. And then we spent the next few weeks learning syllable types and learning how to divide words into syllables. And he really took off with it. 
So sometimes it's just filling some gaps in that shaky foundation. There are there are older kids who really need to go through the whole process. And I've, you know, I've worked with um, some in particular who are English language learners who, if their vowels are different than the English vowels, I mean, I even I worked with a student who was bilingual. He'd always spoken English, but he hadn't been educated in English. Mm. And so he wasn't reading and writing English until he was a little older. And so he really needed almost the same, yeah, really the same lesson sequence that I would give to a non-reader in English. So even though he was older, he was a reader in another language, he was very bright, he was successful in school, in, and it, that was hard one. He certainly had dyslexia. It had taken him a long time to get there in the other language, but um, he really needed to go step by step all the way through in Orton Gillingham. But some, so some older readers, it's a matter of sort of filling those gaps. And then they say, oh yeah, kind of, I can take it from here. I do know this and this and this. I just missed some stuff at the beginning. And those things tend to be vowel sounds and syllable stuff. So knowing how to chunk a word into syllables. And then we can start talking about morphology because then if you can teach a prefix or you can teach a suffix that helps with both sounding out the word and knowing the meaning of the word, that can be really powerful. And that's what I think they need when they get to that sort of textbook level. Yes. Yes. I agree with that so much. There's a, I don't know if you've used it ever. There's a program that I use with my older kids called Rewards. Yes. Um, so that yeah. one, and I had a group of sixth graders that we were doing that last year. And I was like, short A, remember, like, a says like kindergarten come on guys yeah. <laughs> but it's exactly what you're saying it was like and it was like eight of them and they're all like uh, uh, uh. other stuff or repeating whatever one said it was like they didn't yeah. they didn't really truly know in a way that they were confident with and I was like really okay I thought that was going to be like yeah embarrassingly low for them and right. because they were all not horribly low readers you know they right. were sixth graders that were reading within two years of their grade level. So yeah. the lowest ones were at like a fourth grade reading level. They weren't kindergarten readers. They weren't, you know, they tested decent, like you're saying, like, so sometimes those scores can be a little, I can't think of what I think they're not, they don't tell the whole story. That's true. And I think unfortunately schools because they're the tools they have and they're the screening assessments everybody gets, schools want to make them mean that there's no problem. Yeah. Like, oh, he can read a hundred words a minute. There's not a problem. But well, okay, which words? Right. <laughs> and you know, I've had kids that read 130 words in that minute, but 30 of them were wrong. <laughs> and they yes. still, so, so that's a, that's a problem. That's an accuracy yeah. problem. Um, but I've never been think, a fan of the words per minute. No. I'm like, okay, what's the percentage? I care way more about that. And like you said, which words, right. where are they messing up? Because if they're messing up the and a, because they're just like kind of skipping over it, yeah. I don't care as much as if they get every single word that they've never seen before wrong and they don't know what to do with it. Or if they're guessing things that don't make any sense, because then there's right. a comprehension issue too. Like, right. yeah, I completely agree that like, what are they getting wrong? I don't care how fast they can read. Nope. And then, and schools, unfortunately, because of the structure of the special ed system, they sort of sometimes kind of weaponize that data. Like, no, 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 look, he, he passed the fluency assessment. 
like no that's he doesn't and the and the parents are saying like well it takes him four hours to do his homework and he cries every time he writes a paragraph and 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 the school's sort of saying like well but yeah but that can't be because of a learning disability because look he reads like his peer like as fast as his peers so i think there's this there's that's been great for me as a i mean frustrating to hear the stories but something that i'm free of as a private tutor because i don't and i don't have to say i don't have to know if they have a dyslexia diagnosis I mean, I think it can be very valuable for parents to get that diagnosis and to get um, complete testing and get a full picture. But to to go through my sequence of lessons, I just need to know what's the first thing they don't know. And then, you know, down the road, if we don't have a diagnosis or if we're not sure, I might say like, well, I'm really noticing that it's taking a very long time to get through this sequence. Or I'm really noticing that she's having trouble producing that speech sound. And so if you don't know the answer to this question, you might want to go find out, like, you know, does she have um, a problem with speech articulation? Does she have a vocabulary problem if she can't remember the terms I'm teaching? But I can sort of take myself out of that system of like scores and grades and, and just look at what works for the student, which is freeing. Yes, I, yes, <laughs> I guess I envy you somewhat there. Yeah. But, um, um, what else was I going to mention about that? The, oh, so I was thinking back to like the early learners, if a parent has, maybe they have a history of dyslexia or they just want to make sure that they're doing whatever they can early on. What are the things that you suggest that um, parents of like little kids start doing from the very beginning? Lots of phonemic awareness. So lots of just playing with sounds. I mean, reading to kids is great. That builds that love of learning, that builds the understanding of story structure and vocabulary that is going to give them the support they need to build those reading skills on. But just read to your kids is not enough. So if they have, so the right evaluator can diagnose dyslexia young. A lot of times schools will say, well, you have to wait till they're six or it won't come out on the testing. And that can be true if they're not using the right testing. Um, there are ways and a good evaluator can figure it out earlier. So that can be, if you, if you have a clear family history and early diagnosis can be really beneficial. Um, if you have concerns and you just wanna kind of do the right things at home, lots of phonemic awareness. So lots of rhyming games, um, rhyming songs, nursery rhymes at the early stages. And then um, we did a lot of, we already played a lot of I Spy, but when my son got to be about four, we started playing it more with sounds. So we were, it kept us busy in restaurants, but I'd say like, okay, so instead of I Spy Something Blue, I would say I Spy Something that starts with Mm. what do you see in that restaurant that starts with mm? and getting him to think about and he'd say like gum okay but does gum have mm at the beginning G and so thinking about the sequence of sounds and thinking about what sounds he hears really helped um yeah i love there, that Great. that was a lot of fun and then there are some like the florida center for reading research has a lot of printable games for phonemic awareness too that i recommend to families for um in reinforcement of those phonemic awareness skills. Excellent. Yeah. Perfect. 
All right, is there anything else that you want people to be sure to know about dyslexia in general or helping kids who are struggling with, maybe with reading in general, they don't know if it's dyslexia? Mm. So I would say, try to find out, and I think it's easier for families now that are seeing their kids go through distance learning, find out what, how the kids are being taught to read, find out what the assessments are and what they mean. So to just give a kid a reading level doesn't say much if we don't know if that was a predictable text or if they had to sound out the words or uh, so just try to dig in a little more to how reading is being taught, because what parents need to look for is systematic phonics instruction in the day for everyone, not just if the kid is struggling, but like how is the class getting phonics instruction. And that's a piece that I think especially sometimes in more affluent districts where a lot of kids are getting reading instruction or tutoring or something at home, some schools don't find that they have to give that to everyone. But that means that the kids who struggle, struggle for longer until that gap is big enough to get them some help. So find out how your schools are teaching reading and what specifically isn't working or is working. It's so interesting with you working all over the country, hearing about kind of how things look different. That's, it's interesting that some places are just kind of skipping that. Um, I definitely see times where it'd be nice if there's a little bit more or something, but I haven't seen the, the few schools that I've worked at or with, they've all definitely been in the early years, especially been very phonics yeah. based. I, I would say it's rare that a school is really skipping it, but I've worked in schools where, um, for example, I worked in a school where they stopped teaching phonics at second grade. So they got in what they could get in by second grade. And by the beginning of third grade, most of the kids were either reading or their parents had gone out and gotten a dyslexia diagnosis. I tested a lot of third graders that year because there's the there are some that just haven't mastered all those skills by third grade. So that school was beginning to roll out a third grade phonics program. There that district was a few a few elementary schools. Um, other schools are using phonics programs that just aren't rigorous enough. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah, and then in how it gets implemented very <laughs> yes. and and there's definitely a lot of variation in teacher knowledge and an yeah. implementation too. Yeah, I would definitely like to see a little more teacher education in that regard. Yes. There is a huge percentage of the population that are struggling with dyslexia and we need we need the teachers to know what to look for and how to work with it right. so that it doesn't escalate and become a bigger and bigger right. problem and the child especially you know because if it's a reading problem that's one thing but when it becomes also an emotional self-esteem right. problem that's a much bigger issue that could have been dealt with earlier on yes and i think we we have to think about the numbers so if some of the research shows that 20 percent of english speakers have dyslexia but we're not serving 20 percent of those kids through intervention programs or something in the school like something's not right so there are districts that seem to that have a higher rate 
of specific learning disability than 20%. And that tells me that's that's an instructional gap. So if we are creating readers who can't read by a certain point and then serving them through special education, we're missing an opportunity yeah. to do it with good core phonics instruction at the early grades. Yeah. All right. Well, it has been so good talking to you, Beth. I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find out more about you or ask you some more questions? Absolutely. So people can find me at deeprootslearn.com. And um, that branches into the supports I give to tutors and, and the tutoring I offer to families. And you can find me also on YouTube, just under my name, um, or Deep Roots Learn on Facebook as well. But Deep Roots Learning Solutions on Facebook. Excellent. Thank you so much awesome. for your time and your wisdom and your knowledge. I really thank appreciate you. having you on. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun.